0: Hi everyone, this is Sophia Ustefan, and I am the host of the Dias Podcast. This podcast is for all folks from all walks of life to share their ethnic stories and any relevant topics that are important to them. If you feel led to share your story, please reach out to Podcast at gmail.com. Today we have my friend Sophia Lee with us sharing her story and her family's story of surviving the Khmer genocide. She is also a second gen Khmer Chinese American like me and we share a lot of similarities in our family dynamics and experiences as being second gens Um, and this is also a trigger warning because we do talk about the Khmer genocide and our family fleeing um, to the Thai border and there's also talks of shooting and bombings and so I just wanted to put the trigger warning out there. Both of us were a little triggered throughout the conversation as we um, shared about some memories our parents had shared with us and we do get pretty emotional at some parts of the podcast but um, I just hope that you would hold space for us as um, we've created this space to kind of share what it is like to walk um, in the shoes of a second-gen uh, Ch- Chinese American whose parents have gone through horrific suffering as a result of the Khmer genocide. I also wanted to put the disclaimer out there that even though we talk a lot about our Khmer history and the Khmer Rouge, it does not define us as people and that is not all there is to know. On the other hand, though, it is important to talk about because, specifically for Khmer Americans born in the US, it's more of the loss in not being able to identify with your parents' experience or what it's like to live in Cambodia because of the diaspora, especially with your parents who did not have a choice to come to the States uh, because of their displacement. And oftentimes, within the diaspora, there is a lot of our culture or identity that becomes erased because. On top of fleeing a country that is no longer recognizable, you come to an American context where sometimes your ethnicity or your culture gets suppressed and isn't embraced by majority culture. Lastly, because Sophia and I share the same first name, I will be referring to her as Jed, which is older sister, and she will be referring to me as Moi, little sister, in our dialect. Chu chu. So you can go ahead and say hi and introduce yourselves, uh, Jen.
1: <laughs> hi, everyone. Um, I'm Sophia. And I'm a nurse in the greater Boston area. I'm dedicated to serving the immigrant and refugee community here. And I'm also a hopeful writer, a historian, and a Khmer folk dance teacher. And I'm also a Christian. And Mui, thank you for having me on the podcast. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Thanks for being on here. Tell us a little bit about your family's migration story or your
1: migration story. My parents are from Cambodia and, um, oh, I, I guess, yeah, to add a little bit, we're both, uh, Khmer and Thay or Khmer Chinese American. And I'm second generation. Um, uh, my parents are from Cambodia and my dad is a former teacher and, um, when the Khmer Rouge invaded, he hid his identity for fear of being executed. But later, he and his friend and his nephew, they were discovered, and they were imprisoned. And then they were nearly killed, but they found a way to escape. And he fled by foot to Thailand. And that, wow. yeah, when I, actually, when I think about that, I'm always astounded, because sometimes I'll look up at the sky, and I'll think like, how did he know which way to run? Right. And yeah. yeah. And he'll look at me like, well, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west. And Thailand <laughs> is <laughs> northwest. So we ran that direction. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's something that yeah, I'm I'm always like amazed, you know, by my parents and their um resilience and resiliency. And um yeah, it's just like baffling to me. Um, mm-hmm. So to continue, um they fled by foot and they made it to Thailand. But when they got to Thailand, they were imprisoned again for being refugees. And then later he was um sent to a refugee uh, resettlement camp. Or refugee camp. And then he wanted to come to the U.S., but the U.S. was not accepting refugees at the time. So he chose to go to France since he spoke French because Cambodia is a former French colony. And then later, a few years, he learned that his sister was alive in the U.S., so he moved to the U.S. And then my mom, on the other hand, um, she also had a really traumatic history in Cambodia where she endured four and a half years of trauma, starvation, and suffering. In the Khmer Rouge. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And she was the only survivor in her family of 25 people. Wow. Yeah. So she had two brothers who did survive, but that's because they fled before the war. And coincidentally, they also relocated to France. In my mom's case, yeah, like every, yeah, I've actually interviewed a lot of people about their stories during the Khmer Rouge. Um, and everybody's story is, like, uniquely different, you know, depending on, like, where they were at the time of the Khmer Rouge invasion, and then also, like, what their family's status was, Um, and so, yeah, it varies from person to person, um, but as if my mom hadn't gone through enough, at the end, when the Vietnamese had already, when they had invaded, um, the Khmer Rouge in that area, like, didn't know and they just like fled and so then they left like maybe several thousand of Khmer refugees at the border of Cambodia and Thailand and she was stranded with no food no water and no shelter and so when um, they were discovered by humanitarian relief workers um, they like expedited their refugee resettlement because they were like sick and dying and so she was yeah, she was resettled in Texas, and it's funny because when she tells me the story, she's like, "They told me you're going to Texas," and I said, "Where's Texas?" <laughs> like she has no idea where she's going. Um, so that's how my mom made it to Texas. My parents later met in Texas, and that's where I was born. Wow,
0: <sighs> it sounds like a long and painful journey. Yeah, to the
1: U.S. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it was. And, um, you know, I didn't go into too much detail about my mom's story and that's because she hasn't told me all of her story. And when I was younger, I think I was really adamant. Like I wanted to know, like, there's just this Mm -hmm. thirst for like to not the knowledge and also like to know where you come from. Like, where do I come from? Well, where do you come from? And why did this happen to you? And why are we born in Texas? So yeah, um, yeah, that really was hard for me to not be able to hear. And I, and as a young kid, or even as a teen, I just couldn't grasp the level of trauma that she had experienced. And, um, actually it wasn't until I was much older when I was talking to my coworker and he's actually this like really famous psycho, psychiatrist, um, named Dr. Richard Malika, and he works at the Harvard Program for Refugee Trauma. And I was sharing this with him, and he was saying to me, like, well, that's your mom's story. Like, you mm. you can't force her to tell her story until she's ready to tell her mm. story, because you don't own that story. That's her experience. Mm-hmm. And um, he said, you can only listen when she wants to share. And yeah, yeah that was like pretty impactful for me to hear that. Um, And then maybe even a few years after I had already like learned that lesson in a way, um, we visited my cousin in California and my cousin who is older than me, he's in his fifties now. He was also um, describing some of the challenges of being my American and growing up in the States and then just the different the barriers that exist between our parents generation and our generation and as mm-hmm. he was sharing I think it was really hard for my for my dad to listen to it because mm-hmm. this is his nephew and and my cousin was saying something like oh well you know i can't connect with my parents and they can't connect with me and i i want to know what happened in cambodia but like they won't tell me so this is my cousin sharing this to my dad and then my dad said okay. you know when other people ask me i can share because they want to know and i also want to tell them what happened like this is what happened to me you should know this is the history and he says but when my daughters asked me he said it hurts so much it will not come out and hearing my dad say that mm. to my cousin it yeah it really helped me understand how difficult it was um yeah take your yeah. time yeah, <clears throat> yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, yeah, my parents were, would say to me, like, you should be thankful that you were born in this country. You didn't have to experience the things that we experienced. And um, yeah, it's, it's like, I want it, I want to know, and I wanted to know and I ask, because I want to connect with him in that way, you know, but the trauma impairs that ability. You know, it creates this barrier. Yeah. Yeah, it does. It and then does. um, yeah, so I'd say being Khmer American, especially being second generation, is is a, it can be, and even for for those who are not Khmer American, but I would say for any like second gen Americans who like their parents went through like mass trauma, you know, like inflicted Mm -hmm. by a state, by a country. Yeah. Yeah. That, that level of trauma is like, unlike anything else. And, um, and even though I didn't experience it, I mean, it basically seeps into like your entire, like growing up experience. Um, And I think that's why I would consider myself like a historian um, because I want since my parents wouldn't tell me it was so painful for them. So I would look in, um, history books and encyclopedias that we had at home or Google searches, like eventually when Google came out and, um, yeah, constantly this, this, um, yearning to know mm. what my parents yeah. experienced and like how it divides us. And, um, yeah. Yeah, and and for my mom, since she had such a traumatic history, like she tends to separate people. So she separates it based on like people who went through the genocide and people who were lucky and did not go through the mm. genocide. So yeah, it's um yeah, even so even though I didn't experience it firsthand, um, growing up and hearing these stories, and then feeling like, like I, yeah, this loss, this loss, yeah. it's it's indescribable.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and just the way that your mom kind of categorizes people signifies that loss, of the loss of opportunities and the loss of joy that she had and yeah. yeah in her childhood and coming to the states
1: yeah, yeah totally um just I would say though that like you know thankfully like many many years have passed and um in recent years I've noticed though that she is starting to heal and I, I would say you know despite her trauma history she's actually really high functioning and she's super assertive mm-hmm. and she's really smart yeah. and like, you know she mm-hmm. speaks three languages both my parents do and like um yeah she's you know at the at the market whatever you can't out bargain her like she's awesome you know <laughs> yeah that's yeah, my mom too exactly. <laughs> um yeah so yeah in recent years she i would say is gradually healing and um like i took her and my dad to the mountains in New Hampshire and when I was growing up we never went camping we never went to anywhere with woods or with tall trees and it's because she associated with the border of Cambodian Thailand so for me growing up wow. I always like in the summertime if I had friends like going camping I always felt jealous like oh I'll never experience that I will never know how fun that is how much you enjoy like making s'mores outdoors or any of those things um because my mom is so scared of like trees and forests and um because of what happened at the border and yeah yeah and so at that time during new, like a few years ago when we went to new hampshire we were there and she said wow you know coming here it reminds me it reminds me like the trees are so tall like a few years i, I don't think i could come to a place like right? And then she looks out Mm -hmm. again, she's like, "But it's so pretty, you Mm. know? And she sees this trees like changing color because it was fall and she's like, it's so pretty, you know? And so I was just astounded how like she is gradually like making new connections and replacing those like really traumatic memories and associations with new ones and how that is, yeah, such a big step for her to be able to not only like go to a place that reminds her of her trauma, but then to acknowledge and to to say, wow, it's pretty. This is beautiful. I couldn't have come here before, but now I can. Yeah, yeah, I'm pretty amazed at my, yeah, just how my parents, um, despite their history, how they continue to persevere and
0: your from your family's story hits home for me. Yeah. There's a lot there is so much grief and loss and and like even if like you haven't experienced like the war or the trauma directly, like it still has all these lasting impacts in the way that your family interacts with you or talks to you or parents you and and even like your experience of not even being able to go camping because of those of those um triggers that your mom had yeah it's just so heartbreaking
1: yeah um yeah yeah and yeah, when I think back to it, like the desire to go camping, that's so silly. <laughs> like, you know, but as a kid, that's like a big deal, right? Um, but I eventually did get to, but in a different form. Um, I So when I moved to Boston, I attended this, this course. And it was called the Harvard Humanitarian Initiative. And it was basically like a crash course for people who want to become relief workers in like humanitarian relief so I I attended this course thinking that maybe one day I would want to respond in a humanitarian disaster <laughs> and they had a simulation oh so my gosh. we went out into the forest <laughs> and I got to stay in a tent with like these really amazing people. It was a diverse group of um, doctors nurses, engineers, Watts and people, um, water and sanitation. Um, yeah, a really interesting group of very talented individuals from various fields. And um, yeah, they would even role play. Like they role played as though like the militia were coming and um, the aid workers ourselves like we had to flee and try not to get caught. And so I remember like in the middle of the night, my friend and I, um, yeah, we, it like hid in this, like, tr- this trees in the dark in this forest. <laughs> oh my yeah, goodness. And so when we were there, I was thinking about my mom and I was thinking about, what she went through and here for me it was a simulation it's not even real you know like I paid for this experience um Mm -hmm. but for her it was real and it was not not a not a simulation so yeah I couldn't imagine like what she went through Um, and yeah towards that the end of the event like we had shared and I shared with everyone, like, you know, I have never been to any any park, state park or forest, forested area like this um, because of what happened to my mom. Um, but I was really thankful to be a part of the simulation and, you know, to meet with other um, like-minded people who are dedicated to helping people in crisis, like refugee crisis, because somebody like a group back in 1979 helped my mom in that way like escape that border you know and if it weren't for them then I wouldn't be alive today mm. yeah. wow yeah yeah it's really
0: impactful and an eye-opening experience even if it wasn't real but thinking about Like, your mom was literally fleeing death. Yes. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And by that time, too, like, she would say, like, I was already alone. Like, I was orphaned by then. Like, all her family had already died. And, um, And she was very sick as well. And, like, yeah, it was just, yeah. And honestly, her story was, like, so horrific that... A part of me did not believe her because I felt like it can't be true. How could anybody go through such horror? And Mm -hmm. I did not want to believe it. And so I think a part of Mm -hmm. me denied the truth of her experience. And later on when I was in college, I found out that there was a, an, a local author and he was um, writing a history book on Asians who had resettled in Texas. And mm. um, he was looking for Asians of all the various ethnic groups to share, well, to do the research, but then also to write the chapter about how their ethnic, um, their Asian ethnic group had Resettled in Texas and what their lives were like in Texas. And at that time, it just happened to be that no one had volunteered to write the Cambodian Texans chapter. And I realized that if I didn't volunteer for it and if no one else was going to do it, then he, as the editor, would end up writing it. But I thought, you know, he wouldn't have the connections to knowing the people who are really, like, the key um, of bringing the stories alive, right? Of, like, sharing, Mm -hmm. resharing the history of, like, what happened Mm -hmm. upon um, resettlement in America, in Texas at that time. So I volunteered to write it. And, um, yeah, one life-changing moment for me, which I'll never forget, is that I was sitting in the library doing research for this chapter, and... I came across someone else's experience at the Cambodian Thai border in 1979. And when I read it, I realized that my mom was telling the truth Mm. and that it was really horrific. Yeah, and it was worse than she had told me. That was really hard Mm. to read. And it was like, I was sad to read about the history, but then I was also thankful that I found the history because it was something that she couldn't go into as much detail. And then later I I told her, oh, I read about it in this book. I read someone else's experience of what you said. And she's like, I told you it was true. I told you. And then she would use her hands and like visually show me what had happened. Um, And yeah, basically to sum up what she had described was that um, the Thai soldiers were, um, the Thai soldiers were not allowing Cambodians to enter into Thailand. So um, yeah, they were shooting at them and then they were at the edge of these mountains and so they either shot them and then they would fall off mountain cliffs or and then at the bottom of the mountains were landmines and so when I read that I was just like mortified by like all the different modes of like like just the different ways you know that they were going to die in that moment and I remember asking my mom like how did you how did you survive that she's like I don't know I just kept running I just kept running and I just got lucky you know so Mm. that was um yeah really important for me that like I was able to find somebody else's account but then because I could find someone else's account it helped her open up more about her own experience so yeah since then I've been really um passionate about like learning more history and hearing the stories and um and then even like, the stories once they resettled in Texas, like, their experiences, what they faced, their challenges. Um, I didn't know any of those things because I never asked. So I realized, like, we're soon, like, our parents' generation. You're not going to be around forever. And if we don't um, mm-hmm. ask those stories now, they're going to disappear. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, my father had a similar experience with the Thai refugee camp when he was crossing the border. Um, he came when the I Dang uh, camp wasn't accepting any more refugees, and so like the Thai soldiers would either arrest you or kill you and send you back to Cambodia, and he said that there was a time where it was either dark at night or maybe very early in the morning when the soldiers just maybe weren't around or weren't looking but they dug a hole and crawled underneath the gate and snuck in wow that's incredible yeah (sighs) wow so much yeah And and like there's still so many other stories that you know I haven't heard and and you can't even imagine how horrific it is because you weren't there or maybe some details were left out and
1: yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's really, um. yeah, I can't imagine too, like what your dad experienced to be like turned away, <laughs> you know, um, and then like to make a way, <laughs> to find the way, it's just,
0: Unbelievable. Yeah. It really is. Like, I don't, I think, I don't remember what happened, but he had shared that he was traveling on foot from Cambodia to the Thai border with his sister and brother in law, and they had a baby. And I think my uncle was imprisoned. And every every morning, his sister would go to the to the Thai soldier where he was in prison and beg for him to be let out because he had a baby, because he was just gonna either die of starvation or die of torture. Um, and every morning she begged the soldier to let him free. And eventually, like he he felt bad because she saw the baby, and oh. he let him. The soldier let him oh. out. Oh. Um but it's just like a terrifying moment of it's just really I it's just really heartbreaking heartbreaking
1: and yeah yeah <sighs> yeah.
0: Mm. yeah, so thank you for sharing all that you didn't. It's very painful and mm. very traumatic
1: yeah
0: so what year did your parents resettle in Texas?
1: Um my dad maybe like 1977 or so since he went to France first. And then oh. my mom maybe towards the end of 1979. Yeah.
0: Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they came here than my parents. Mm-hmm.
1: Did. Yeah, yeah. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I think because both of their situations was so, like, dire, then um, they were sped through the refugee resettlement process a lot quicker than most. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I didn't realize that at the time, but I only learned that later on when I was doing research for the book, so.
0: Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And talk a little bit about the neighborhood that you grew up Mm. in.
1: Yeah. Um, So I grew up in Texas in a pretty diverse neighborhood with a mix of everyone, um, whites, Blacks, Latinos, and Asians. And I spent a lot of my time outdoors riding my bike, roller skating, um, playing with my sister and um, the neighbor's kids. And it wasn't until high school, though, that I realized that my parents were maybe ashamed of where we lived, um, that our house Mm -hmm. was small according to Texas standards, Mm -hmm. but Texas standards are like ridiculous, right? large, like everything is bigger in Texas. Um, Mm -hmm. But also that there was crime. So the house Mm -hmm. across our street when I was like in elementary school, I remember had been robbed and there was tape around the yard for a while. And then I also remember trying to steer clear of this one um, Asian guy who lived on my street because um there were rumors that he was in a gang and then later Mm. on in college I learned that he was murdered in his home on our street which is kind of scary oh my goodness yeah yeah wow yeah but um Mm -hmm. but you know that's where yeah I grew up and I had a lot of good experiences there so so despite those things, um, you know, I still remember like yeah, my childhood fondly like learning how to ride a bike outside and um yeah, playing in the little plastic pool with my sister and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And navigating like a diverse space or diverse school in the neighborhood. Um, have you felt affirmed in your racial and ethnic identity or supported mm. in that you way you know
1: that's a complex question <laughs> mm. so because yeah. it's like okay in our microcosm of our neighborhood it was diverse so mm-hmm. I felt yeah comfortable there but when we went mm-hmm. to school our our neighborhood was combined with like other neighborhoods and so then it our school was probably more predominantly white. Um, And so I think there was um, this sense of like not belonging that I, that I did feel. Um, And I did have, actually, I, there's a large Vietnamese population um, where I grew up. And so a lot of my close friends were Vietnamese and I had a few of my friends as well. Um, but when I was in high school, I was in our school's marching band. We had a really great music program and, um, and the majority of the students in band were white, but there were some, I mean, there were some of other, um, other ethnicities as well, but I remember like how just naturally all the Asians tended to, um, like eat together, eat in the hallways together, Mm -hmm. like sit and study and do our homework together. And when we were out like in a different city for a band competition, I remember pretty clearly like one of my friends who is half Asian, he came and joined us like after he got his food and he sat down. He's like, yes, the Asian rejects. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, that we like basically identifying that we feel as though we are Asian rejects. Um mm. yeah. So yeah but but it was still a good experience um like and i think i think it's largely like through music because when you're in a in a band or an orchestra or any like music ensemble when you're playing music together you really kind of lose sense of like um who you are and you're you're identifying as a group and so that was yeah really special and i actually really miss it um yeah mm. playing in an ensemble in a band yeah Yeah,
0: and what have you come to love about your story and who you are as a Khmer Chinese-American?
1: Honestly, I would say I'm still living out that story, so I don't know if I Mm -hmm. love anything in particular, like one thing, and um, in a way, I guess I'm also like, learning to realize that like I have my own story and it's not entirely like oh the offspring of my parents because you know how like in Asian culture it's often like you don't have a name you're like so-and-so's kid you know yes oh my <laughs> yeah, gosh yeah exactly so um even like I was looking at I, I saw on Facebook recently that like one of my aunts she had posted a picture of me and her when she came to visit me in Boston. And then some relative that I don't even know was like, oh, is that so-and-so's kid? And um, that's how they identified me. <laughs> so I think I'm still learning, you know, how to be, to identify like, yeah, my own story and claiming it. Um, mm-hmm. And not just like, oh um, yeah, Sophia, who is the daughter of like my refugees. Yeah, it's a work yeah. in progress.
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it'll always <laughs> yeah. be a work in progress or a journey. I think, I think being my Chinese American has a lot to unpack because of our family's history, um, and sifting through the trauma and the grief, and then finding like the resilience through it.
1: Yes. Yeah, you said it very well.
0: Yeah, I feel that on a very personal level every day. Mm-hmm. Um what what you shared reminded me when I just w- I was just at a Khmer party and everyone was saying, Oh, that's a Jew that's Jews Kid. Oh look, that's Jews Kid. And it was like <laughs> it's just like every time we're like on my wedding invitation, like all the Khmer people got mad because I didn't put who my parents were on the invitation. Yes. <laughs> oh we God. had
1: I had the same <laughs> I had the same experience, so. <laughs> yeah. And and despite, like, all the
0: adversities, like, how do you continue to celebrate who you are or who your family is in the States as a second gen?
1: Mm. So one thing about me, I guess, that's, like, unique to me. Um, so... I work, I'm a nurse and I used to work at a big uh, teaching hospital and and I enjoyed it um, for the most part. There are definitely challenges being a nurse. Um, it's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's really hard work. It's probably like one of the hardest jobs ever. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. if people like yeah. throw body foods at you and like, throw up in a bin and then throw their vomit at you. I mean, who wants to work in that kind of setting? Right. Like, and that didn't happen all yeah. the time, but it's happened. It happened multiple times. So, or like people like my patients trying to like punch me or kick me or pull my hair, things like that. So, but there's also really, sorry, I don't want to like bash nursing. Um, that wasn't my intention. Um, But yeah, there's also really good parts too, like being there. um, And one thing I really appreciate is getting to know a patient very well. And so once I get to know them, then I can identify and see changes happening if their condition is declining. Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. So to me, being able to see that and then Identify it really quick, so that way you can intervene and prevent that person from getting sicker. is so important, mm-hmm. and um, it's something that I really love about nursing. Um, in contrast, like other roles in the healthcare profession, mm-hmm. um, just literally like being there to watch them, being at the bedside. So, I really appreciated that about um, working in the hospital setting. Um, but a few years ago, I was. Working in the hospital, and then I was also going to church in a small town north of Boston. And um, when I was walking to church one day, I saw a health center, and I saw like people of diverse backgrounds waiting outside, um, waiting for their care. And I thought, you know, that is where I want to work. Mm. And it occurred to me that like, even though this health center is not like in downtown, it's not like, you know, this big bustling academic Mecca where all of these like teaching um, where like, you know, students and um, instructors and um, are coming through and like, it's just a completely different setting Um, Mm -hmm. but I felt like it's really important to me that people who don't have access to that kind of care can still be able to get that care. even if they can't make Mm -hmm. it to downtown, they can't get there. Um, so I decided to quit my job in the big hospital and then to work at the health center where I'm at right now. And, um, I really love it. It's great. Um, I get to work with patients of all different backgrounds, um, including the Khmer population and uh, many of Latino backgrounds as well. I also speak Spanish, so I have a lot of fun um, uh, speaking Spanish and getting to to know my patients. And then also, yeah, it's like so diverse. Um, I've had patients who are from Somalia, who are from Sudan yeah just everywhere. So that's been really mm-hmm. cool. and um one thing, yeah, one thing that like, yeah, I just for me is just like, well, since my parents had nothing and came to this country with nothing, like I can't imagine how hard it was for them to access services. And so, um that's exactly why I work there because I want to be able to provide. Um, access to care and services for the people who really need them and are at this really difficult place in their lives.
0: Yeah, and it's really powerful and it's a sense of empowerment for you to kind of give back to and heal from like your story in that way. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And how would how would you encourage other KMI folks at the beginning of owning their stories or walking through their stories?
1: Hmm. I would probably say talk and ask and yeah, try to learn our, your parents' stories, or if not your parents, then your aunts and uncles. Um, whoever is open to sharing um ask the Mm -hmm. questions get to know them you know develop a relationship with them um to learn um what what happened in cambodia and also like beyond that beyond what happened um during 1975 to 1979 you know the things that bring them joy um Mm -hmm. what they their favorite foods you know like um Yeah, the 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 memories that are really special to them. Um yeah, learn to to ask and to to appreciate it um, before our that generation disappears.
0: Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and that's really important because they won't be around forever. Yes. yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? or add to the conversation?
1: Um, Well, this is more of a public service announcement, but (laughs) um, since we're currently in a pandemic, if you haven't gotten your COVID vaccine yet, um, I encourage you to do so. Um, Vaccines save lives and they're really the only way that we can get out of this pandemic. Every Person that gets vaccinated adds to herd immunity, so that way we can protect those who can't get vaccinated or those who are immunocompromised if they get vaccinated, but they don't build up as many antibodies, so they're really susceptible to COVID-19. So please consider getting your COVID vaccine if you haven't yet. And if you have any questions, you can feel free to reach out to me <laughs> if you'd like. I'm happy happy <laughs> to answer any.
0: thank you for thank you for offering your knowledge on the vaccine, yeah, (laughs) and and thank you so much for sharing all that you did. I know it can be very painful and um just hard to even share, like, there isn't space to um share these types of things unless you're in counseling. So, I think I feel really honored that you we're willing to be on this podcast mm. and share your your family stories and your story.
1: Mm. Thank you. Thanks for having me. <laughs>